0: ground squelches beneath your feet as you trudge across the muddy field. It's the middle of summer, but you can barely feel the sun's rays on your skin. It's dark, so much darker than it should be, and wet too. By now, the rivers should have returned to their normal courses, but this year they're still spread through the forests and fields. At first, it was fun being able to splash through the cold water as your parents planted the crops for the year. Now though, The fun's passed, and the crops look weak, as weak as you feel when you walk amongst them. It's cold, too, like the summer has already passed. You don't think you've even put your woolen cloak away this year, still needing it to keep warm, even now. You should be picking flowers and berries this time of year, running around in your linen dress and pointing out the different stars in the sky. Instead, you're tramping through a wet field, searching for anything that looks even remotely edible. The year is 536, and you just might be living through Winter. In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. I'm your host, Miranda Schmiederer. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of That Jorvik Viking Thing Podcast. Today we're talking about Thimblewinter, the event that's supposed to signal the beginning of Ragnarok, the end of the world in Norse mythology. In Norse mythology, Ragnarok means fate of the gods. It's a series of events, including a great battle, which will lead to the death of many figures including Odin, Thor, Heimdall, and Loki, who you may know from the Marvel films. It also includes natural disasters which will leave the world completely submerged in water. After Ragnarok, the world will resurface with new fertile land and the world will be repopulated by two human survivors. However, as mentioned, the precursor to all of this is Fimblewinter. You might know it from League of Legends or even the metal band with the same name. But what do we actually know about this mythical event? Fimblewinter, which means Great Winter, is mentioned in a couple of sagas.
1: From the Prose Edda First of all, that a winter will come called Fimblewinter. Then snow will drift from all directions. There will be great frosts and keen winds. The sun will do no good. There will be three of these winters together, and no summer between. But before that, there will come three other winters, during which there will be great battles throughout the world. Then brothers will kill each other out of greed, and no one will show mercy to father or son in killing or breaking the taboos of kinship.
0: However, in the late 1990s and early 2000s, scientists and archaeologists started noticing certain details that made them think that there was a little bit more to the sagas than just a wild imagination. Today we're joined by Katie Spreadbrough, one of the Viking interpreters here at the Jorvik Viking Center, as well as a member of our environmental and sustainability working group here at York Archaeology. She's going to tell us a little bit more about the real Winter. So I guess we'll just jump right in then. We're talking about Thimblewinter. So what is thimble Winter?
1: So Winter means great winter, and it's supposed to be one of the precursors of Ragnarok. So it's mentioned in a couple of the sagas. So from the saga Gilfaginning, um, it says that first of all, a winter will come called Fimble Winter. Snow will drift from all directions, there will be great frosts and keen winds, the sun will do no good, there will be three of these winters together and no summer between them. So it's also mentioned in the Voluspa saga, Um, in that one it states that Ragnarok begins when the children of the wolf Fenrir carry off the moon, attack the sun and paint the home of the gods red with their blood. It also says that the sun's rays are dark and the stars are no longer visible in the following summers and that the weather is just generally out of balance. There is some evidence out there that this
0: might actually be based on real events that have happened. Can you tell us a little bit more about that theory?
1: Yeah, so in 536 A.D., there was something called a dust veil that extended over a lot of the northern hemisphere. So if you remember a few years ago, there was a volcano in Iceland that erupted, and because of the dust cloud that that created, flights were stopped for a while. So it's a very similar thing, except on a much, much larger scale. So we think that places affected by this included China, Siberia, the western US, Mesopotamia, Mediterranean, Near East, and Greenland as well. And as a result of this dust cloud, it meant that the sun wasn't as bright, the weather was colder, and because of that, the growing season was shorter, which resulted in crops failing, um, which then results in widespread famine as well. At the same time, there's also lots of rain, which leads to floods and high water levels in lakes, rivers, and bogs. And the effects of this dust fail lasted for years, so it's thought that this experience inspired the events of Fimble Winter. So, what sort of evidence is there that this actually happened? So we have historic evidence, and then we also have some scientific evidence as well. So the historic evidence, um, we have several written sources. So there's a Roman official who's based in um, Italy, um, and his name is Cassiodorus. So he writes about something coming at us from the stars that produces a red-colored sun. It dims the moon and results in a summer without heat perpetual th- frost, and unnatural drought. The crops wither in the fields, nothing grows, and all the while the rays of the stars have been darkened. We also have descriptions of colder weather, more darkness, and failed harvest from writers such as Procopius, Zachariah of Mytilene, John the Lydian, and John of Ephesius, who were all based around the Mediterranean and the Near East. So we know that according to these historical records that the sun is dimmed from the beginning of 536 AD until the summer of 537 AD. So aside from historical evidence, do we have any other supporting evidence of of this cataclysmic event? So we also have scientific evidence. So there's a few different things that we can look at. Um, One thing we can look at is fossil tree rings. So a cold year is going to result in a thinner growing season um, on the tree, and a warm summer is going to give us a thicker ring. So by looking at those rings, we know that we're seeing unusually cold summers in Siberia and the western U.S. from about 536 to 545 A.D., And these tree rings actually seem to suggest two different climate downturns. So one in 536 and then another later one from about 540 to 542. We can also look at ice in um, Antarctica and Greenland. So in the ice of those places, we found a significant layer of sulfates and that's something that you would get from a massive volcanic eruption, which is also the kind of thing that would cause this dust cloud. We also see that agricultural land in northern and central Europe is, um, sort of reverted back into forest. And archaeologists don't really think that this is intentional but that this is because those communities or those farms have been abandoned, so the forests are growing back in. We also see in Scandinavia sort of a change in the art style or the imagery being used. So there used to be, um, sort of before the 6th century, we're seeing lots of animals and lots of suns in the um, Scandinavian stone monuments but from the 6th century onward, when this dust veil um, happened, they changed to stories of gods and heroes instead, which suggests that the sun could no longer be relied upon. So obviously this cataclysmic event happened, but do we
0: know like, what, what caused the change? What, what happened?
1: So we think that there was some kind of massive volcanic eruption, but we're not sure exactly where. Um, there are theories that it could have happened in Papua New Guinea, Java, or El Salvador, but, you know, we're not 100% sure where exactly it was. Um, it is also possible that there were several volcanic eruptions at similar times around the world. Um, it's also possible that we're looking at something like a comet or a meteorite impact as well. And I suppose for our last question then, what did the Scandinavian people
0: experience during this climate disaster?
1: Yeah, so like I said earlier, um, a lot of villages in Scandinavia are abandoned around this time. About half the population um, is believed to have died. Uh, We're seeing longer, colder winters, colder summers, which means that there are bad harvests and famine livestock are dying also sunsets would have been very very red caused by that dust veil that's obscuring the sun and another interesting thing we see is that there are lots of gold hordes dating to around this time so it's possible that those are um, a sort of sacrifice um, in a time of you know a very cataclysmic event and there's a, um, one of these hordes in Sutterby in Sweden that has the images of the gods defaced, which would suggest that their power was being rejected for some reason. So it sounds like this is something that we might be
0: able to relate quite a lot to, really.
1: I mean, yeah, definitely, um, especially with sort of the situation with the climate today. Um, I think we can all relate to um, what it must have been like to be living through this sort of um, cataclysmic event, but I think, unlike the people in the past, we sort of have a choice today, um, and you know, going forward, hopefully, we'll be able to do what we can to sort of mitigate the um, the impact that this has on us. And uh, so, here at the um, at the Jorvik Group um, in our environmental and sustainability working group, we're sort of Trying to do that and trying to focus on how the, um, the Jorvik group can um, reduce our carbon footprints and um, overall just try to move forward um, as sustainably as possible. Amazing!
0: Thank you very much! We're still discovering new evidence about thimble Winter even today. In 2020, scholars in Sweden reanalyzed one of the world's most famous runestones, the rock Stone, which was erected in the 9th century. This runestone bears the longest runic inscription in the world, with more than 700 runes covering its five sides. It's long been interpreted as a memorial to a dead son, with several mentions of great battles taking place over 100 years. But researchers now think the inscriptions might be an allusion to a period of extreme winter as the person who erected the stone tried to put their child's death into a larger perspective. The battles they referred to might be a different kind of fight, the fight to remain alive if another thimble winter comes to pass. It's easy to see why the Vikings believed the events they were experiencing were simply a precursor to the end of the world. A seemingly endless winter, unsalvageable harvests, starvation, war, and mass death of more than half the population sounds like an apocalyptic fantasy. However, humans today are not unfamiliar with climate crises. Because of the impact of human beings, climate change is happening at a more rapid rate than ever before in Earth's history. The effects include expanding deserts, more frequent wildfires, sea ice loss, weather extremes, as well as mass relocation and extinction of animals. All of these things threaten food and water scarcity, disease, and economic loss, just like the Vikings encountered in the 6th century. A big thanks to Katie Spreadborough for joining us today and to slap for the use of their sound. Make sure you tune in for our next episode, All About Yule, coming out just in time for Christmas. We'll hear a saga from our own scald, Lucas Norton, and then we'll talk with him about what we know about Viking Yule from the original sources. The answer might just surprise you. But Christmas isn't complete without a trip to Barley Hall. Rediscover a magical medieval Christmas this winter. Enjoy the greenery and colour as you're transported back in time to explore the beautifully decorated rooms of Barley Hall, decorated for the festive season. You can purchase your tickets now at barleyhall.co.uk. Thanks for listening to That Yorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Transcripts and chapter markers are available on Jorvik Thing. Dot buzzsprout.com don't forget to rate and review us on apple podcasts and if you enjoyed the show share it with a friend it's the best way to help support your favorite viking podcast That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Yorvik Group and York Archaeology, researched by Lucas Norton, Ashley Fisher, and Miranda Schmiederer, written and produced by Ashley Fisher, sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.